Welcome to episode 85 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am your faithful host, Stuart Butler, and I am joined today with a bunch of boys, because it's an all-male cast, and uh, it's starting out with Phil Fariska. Hey, everybody. Good to be back. And that's all you have to say? That's I mean, it? Yeah. Okay. It's... It's late on a Friday, Street. <laughs> okay. You, you're trying to go quickly to get out of here? There is a you, beer you festival beer tonight fest? that I need to check out. So the fact that I'm stalling it now with Jibba Jabba. You are preventing me from getting the beer in my belly. Mm, okay. Well, you you could have got some from downstairs. I have some right next to me, but that's not the point. Okay. It's Friday. And the return of, this is your uh, thrice appearance, is that yeah, right? Yeah, Trace. Trace. It is Jeremy Razook. Hey, everyone. Razook. I like your last name. Like I feel like you have to say it funny. I used to have nickname Razuka. Like a bazooka. Like in my mm. yeah. Did your friends like pick you up days. and put them on your put you on their shoulder? That was just easy to throw. That's basically yeah. it. <laughs> well, thanks for coming back, Jeremy. No problem. We haven't scared you off yet. Nope. And the very ever present almost, Pete DeMeo. Hey everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. You know what? I got made fun of a little bit in a meeting. Because I had a, a phone meeting that started, and the client started by going, hello. <laughs> did they, did <laughs> they really? They did. Were they really making fun of you or me? I think they're making fun of you, but mm. I was in association with you, so That's I got funny. the blunt of it. That's pretty funny. That's You know, when we first started the podcast, I was like, we need a, like a hook at the beginning and the end, and we couldn't come up with any. And it so just, you weren't Mrs. Doubtfire on us? I guess. It just it was the natural, organic thing, and now we can't not. Yeah. You've been regretting it for 85 episodes now. Indeed. So boys, and I can say boys because it's all boys. The, the ladies aren't present today. We've got to keep it clean. No locker room talk because we've got a serious topic to talk about. We're talking about Ada. Don't call it Ada. Why? Because no one calls it Ada but you. Yeah, call it Ada. <laughs> okay, sorry. It, you know, back in the motherland, I would have called it Ada. We're talking about ADA and ADA compliance and all your... Uh, well, we'll get into what it is in a little bit, but it's it's very important. You should be paying attention to it. The, you know, the subject matter is a little dry. It's kind of like our GDPR episode, if you haven't listened to that and you're wondering what GDPR is, you should you should go listen to it. But before we get into ADA compliance, let's see what's going on in the newsies. Does anyone have any newsies? All right. Well, I have a, a newsie here. And I just realized that you got me to say newsie, which has always been a thing that I never planned on doing. So It's so fetch. Yeah. <laughs> Quit trying to make fetch happen, Stuart. <laughs> All right. So my news item for today is something that not only hotels can benefit from, but everybody. And Amazon has now rolled out what they call Blueprints for Echo, and it allows anybody who has an Echo to create custom skills. So basically what you can do is create QA skills. You can create skills that might be used by a house guest or a babysitter asking questions about Wi-Fi passwords and whatnot. So there's definitely opportunities from a hotel, or more specifically probably a vacation rental like an Airbnb to help guests who are staying at you know a home or a property to be able to ask custom questions about, hey, what is the Wi-Fi password? Or what's the hours of the pool? Or whatever it might be. So or I could make it boost my <coughs> ego by saying, hey, Alexa, who's the best? And it says, Phil. 
Well, that's the that's best true. part about it. And that's really what ties into everybody else being able to use it. So I've set these up for my Echo. And I set one up for my kids, <laughs> which, is awesome. which is the best one I encourage. I've been playing around with it since you said that. Yeah. It's so amazing. So I have so make sure if, if you're listening to this and you have an echo to do this. So I created a skill that says, basically, I can ask it, Alexa, please send me a report of Kayla's tablet usage. And Alexa then returns, okay, I'm sending you an email with the amount of time she's spent on her tablets, websites visited, and apps used. At which point my daughter's face goes white yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because she's convinced now that we have the ability to have a log of her email or her tablet usage emailed to us. Yeah. We want. I did it with my sons last night and you know, they're, they're texting as well. So I, it said I added in a list of all the messages that you've sent as well. So, so you guys are doing it with your kids. I'm totally going to screw with my wife and make her, make her think I'm the best. Well, the other thing you can do, and Pete, Pete put me onto this as well, is you can pretend like everything in your whole house is part of the Internet of Things now mm-hmm. and that everything's smart. So Pete, Pete's idea was like have two slightly subtle variations of a question. So you could say, um, Alexa, did the mailman come yet? Or Alexa, has the mailman come yet? You know, so the did and the has could be the mm-hmm. different triggers. And one of them is, yes, there's mail in your inbox. The other is, no, there's no mail in your inbox. So you well, can... No, m- physical mail. So mail in, like, in the mailbox out front. So right, you can right. make your kids huh. go get it when you don't want to. Exactly. Well, no, you can just ask, say, like, so for, I have one for where my keys are. So I'll say, Alexa, where are my keys? And she'll respond, it's on the counter with the rest of your stuff. And that also blew my kid's mind, how Alexa knows <laughs> yeah. where my keys are. So you, it's it's really really interesting, fun, and you can play around with it a is lot. It, is it pretty it's, easy to set up? Oh, dude, it's it totally it. logic based. And and Google's had something like Google Assistant's had something similar to this for a while, but uh, this is way more robust. And they actually have Blueprint. And it's called Blueprints, right? right. It's Blueprints.amazon.com. It's, we'll link to it in the show notes. But they have some for um, a guest house. So. You know, immediately what I thought was if you're, say, an Airbnb host, this would be a no-brainer. Or if it you're would. a small property that has Alexa in every room, this would be a no-brainer because you could have a default um, saying in front of it, just a little sign that says, say, Alexa, tell me what I need to know. And it could be air information. It could be, like you said, Pete, the Wi-Fi password. It's phenomenal. Like, this is a really, really cool thing. It's, it really makes the utility of Alexa a lot more powerful and gives access to everyone that, you know, it would have been tough to program a skill for this, but now anyone can create a skill. Yeah, and it takes best, it out of the nerd realm and puts it into anybody useful. who wants to use it. Yeah, yeah I'm going to take it back into the nerd realm because you know why it's great that you can build all these skills? Why? Because girls like guys with skills. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Napoleon Dynamite. What kind of skills, Stuart? <laughs> I don't know. Longbow skills. Nunchuck skills. Nunchuck skills. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. anyway, from from a hotel or an Airbnb perspective, I think it's awesome. E- even if you're not necessarily managing Airbnb type properties, check it out because it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I still think if I had a hotel myself, it was a small property, I'd go put an Echo in every room. You know, yeah. I just like a dot. It's not that expensive. It just makes makes a lot of sense. Yes, there are privacy concerns. And I know my friend, good friend, Ed St. Ange, if he's listening um, to this, will be having kittens at me saying that because he, he's vehemently against it. And he's all about 
bring your own device kind of thing. But doesn't he carry a smartphone? He does, and that's okay. that's yeah, exactly. that's the point I made today on on the video show with the HSMI this week in hospitality digital marketing is is the concern of there being a device in there that that may be listening to you is moot when you're carrying a smartphone that could be listening to you. But you know you're in control of that you made a decision. I get that. That's not the point. I, I think to me, and we've said this on the show before, if I'm used to a certain utility in my house. You know, I'm used to turning on a faucet and getting water. I'm used to flipping on a switch and getting light. At some point, we didn't have Wi-Fi in our houses. But guess what? When we started getting Wi-Fi in our houses, we demanded it in our hotels. You know, I don't stay at a hotel now unless it has Wi-Fi. And, and nor do many people, right? So there's going to be a time. I Society en masse is choosing to invest in these home devices like Echoes, like Google Home, like whatever it is. Um, whatever what the Apple one is, oh, the, the Siri one. Yeah, it's terrible. But it, the the speaker, the smart speaker. Yeah, one, I don't remember like, what that's called. Uh, yeah, uh, but people expect this because they've got it at home. So why am I going to go pay to be somewhere else that doesn't have the creature comforts at home that I'm used to? So yeah, but you probably don't want one of those in your hotel room, do you? Yeah, I absolutely want an Echo in my hotel room. Okay. To, do you not? But don't you listen in on different rooms of your house through it? No, but you can, so you can drop in, right? And I do that with my kids. So I, I've got a bunch now, like almost every room in my house has, has an echo. So that even, even the bathrooms have them now. So like when my kids are showering and they take way too long to shower, I can drop in on the, on, on that room and I can just say, Hey, hurry up. You need to come downstairs. I don't need to scream upstairs anymore. I don't need to go up there and tell them to hurry up. I can just drop in on echo. But the thing about dropping is they know when you drop in it it notifies them it makes a sound and it lights up so if someone was okay. dropping in or listening into a hotel room they you would know it right so you gotta, it's a technology that can be abused but so is every other right. technology right? i just i mean I kind of what pete was saying if you're talking about area information and things like that i could see it being really useful but i could also <laughs> sing that freaking people out but people like ed who don't like them at all and there's a ton of people out there like that well i think the point there is yeah. you have you need to prompt your guests to to use to the use device. It. You know, so if you have, you know, a little sheet that says, you know, for more information about the property, ask Alexa. You know, here are some questions you might be able right. to ask. And and have it turned off by default, right? You can. There's a button on top which neutralizes it, right? So make sure that the housekeeper, when they go in, turns that off. Maybe even have a, a waiver that every guest signs to say, if I activate the the Echo device, then I acknowledge that whatever that small print is and that's your get out of jail free card but i just you know to me it's a convenience i use mine for all kinds of things to answer any question to play music to set timers to whatever you Check know the weather yeah and it, not necessarily you know people would argue smart home kind of stuff like setting the thermostat opening the windows turning on the lights it's going to cost a lot to integrate that in your hotel room Right. So I'm not saying that's what it's for. It's just a cool little feature, you know, that adds something to the stay, makes it a little more comfortable. That's all. But go go check out blueprints.amazon.com. It's it's a lot it's of very fun. cool. Yeah. So is that the only newsy we had today? Um yeah, I didn't have any newsies today. All right, Did you? Cool. So let's nope. let's right. jump into Ada. ADA. Sorry. Ada. So uh Jeremy, what is Ada? What is Ada, Stuart? Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you. Okay. Right now. 
The Americans with Disabilities Act is a civil rights law that was enacted in order to prevent discrimination of individuals with disabilities. That is ADA. Um, the ADA or ADA was originally designed to provide specific requirements for things like disabled parking, um, wheelchair, ramp mandates, and building codes, and even service counter accessibility. So Title III of ADA mandates that all places of public accommodation, which is all businesses open to the public, are legally required to remove any access barriers that would hinder a disabled person's access to that business's goods or services. Um, originally, access barriers were understood to mean literal barriers such as stairs uh, that would prevent you know, someone in a wheelchair from accessing um, a business. Although now its original intent with ADA, the U.S. Department of Justice indicated that they intended to amend Title III of the ADA to ensure it would cover website accessibility, and that was in 2010. Right, so the ori the original ADA, and I love that you're saying ADA now, not ADA. I'm going to make it a thing. I'm going to make it a thing, just like Newsies. So originally, I think it was like 1990 was when the original laws passed, and the like you said, the intent 100% was physical places, right? So when it said preventing barriers to entry, it meant physical barriers, right? Like you said, stairs, things like that. But obviously, in 1990, when this was passed, the internet wasn't really a thing. I mean, it existed, but not in any mainstream way. Consumers certainly weren't buying hotel rooms on, on the internet back in 1990. So DOJ came out you know, 20 years later, which was now, what, 2010, so eight years ago, and said, uh, yeah, we probably need to consider online access. The thing is, there's really, it's really ambiguous. Like, I, I didn't realize this until we started looking into ADA compliance a while ago. How ambiguous it still is. The Department of Justice has not, in the U.S., has not set any kind of specific regulations. Now, there's been a ton of lawsuits. And, and we've spoken with clients that have had lawsuits brought against them mm -hmm. related to accessibility. And there's inconsistency in the court rulings, depending on the state, depending on, you know, a lot of different factors. Some, some courts are... are saying that websites are not covered by by ada some are saying that they are so then if they are then what requirements are necessary and that's what we're going to dig into today right so it's a little ambiguous because it's not written down in the letter of the law the common conventional wisdom suggests that probably there's a certain type of compliance that the department of justice is going to enforce so do we want to talk about well, what whether that is? it's enforced or not you, you probably should be doing it anyway a um, couple reasons why you need to prevent exposure from those lawsuits you just mentioned um, definitely don't want to get sued we've heard about it before but you know prevent your exposure to that um, another big one is increasing your audience's reach there are plenty of you know disabled people using the internet every day don't exclude them um, you also want to demonstrate your hotel's dedication to social responsibility. Um, when you're creating a website, you want to be equal to everyone who might be visiting that website. Um, it really improves a user's experience as well. So many of the requirements are good practices for all website users. Um, it, 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 it makes clear design, clear messaging, intuitive interfaces. And my favorite why you should be doing this well, is... You've got to be careful when you say your favorite. 
My, I'm sorry. This because is my like, favorite piece of your it. Your favorite should be that it's not discriminatory okay. to other people, right? Sorry. Maybe I'm the one that impacts on you the, the most. M- the one that impacts my right. personal job and my day-to-day the most is it, it It could lead to higher rankings in search engines, and I know that sounds crass, but... Wow. Well, well think about it, though. <laughs> search engines don't have eyes. I mean, they're going to see stuff from the perspective of, you know, reading text on a screen and things like images... They're not going to be able to define what those images are. You know, so how can you put that in text to make sure it makes sense? Yeah, as, right. as a crawler comes through the site, you need to make it aware of everything that's on the page, whether it be images or video or whatever. But all of those things, when as you're as you're becoming more ADA compliant and making them accessible to crawlers, it's going to help your search rankings in the long mm-hmm. run. Yeah, and we probably need to be really careful here, right? But like how we're describing this stuff, we're, we're not legal experts on ADA. I definitely suggest that you go and consult at someone that is a professional, your legal counsel on ADA compliance. But, you know, it, it, it's important for so many reasons that you just listed out. It, it really is. I mean, yet, yet you really should consider every person as equal and regardless of what their disability is, you know. I don't talk about this a lot, but I'm, you know, I'm someone with a disability. I'm legally blind. I do use screen readers from time to time. And it pisses me off tremendously when, for whatever reason, because of my disability, I cannot access something. Like, it drives me bananas. Now, I get around it. I'm not someone that's going to go sue you about it. But there are millions and millions of people in this world that have disabilities that you need to be catering to as a business. You know, that's well, just only, the right thing to do. Yeah, not only that. I mean, we've talked about this in countless podcasts before, but we're in the hospitality business. You know, we should be hospitable to our guests. And just as if you had somebody with a, a visual impairment at your home, you'd want to make sure they felt comfortable. No different than at your hotel or at your hotel's website. Right. I mean, look at how much money you, you've invested at your hotel in putting um, – Chair, chairs at the pool to mm-hmm. be able to drop people in that, that you know are in a wheelchair or lowered counters so that people can get customer service if they're not you know of a certain height or they're in a wheelchair that you have disabled rooms specifically mm-hmm. for people that have some kind of limitation physically that prevents them from maybe getting in and out of a shower mm-hmm. tub or a shower or a tub and stuff like that so you're already catering to them on the physical premise uh, and not not just because legally you're required to and, and your business wouldn't be open if, if you didn't, but it's the right thing to do, mm-hmm. you know? So the good the good news is, is doing the right thing not only is good and should be done, but it can help your business. Like Phil said, it opens up your business to more people. You know, if the competitor down the street's website is not ADA compliant, they're not catering to these this, this population. But then... Again, like Phil said, if you are doing these things that we're about to talk about, your website's a better product for everyone because you're following better practices and is better for search engines, which is going to help you get more business anyway. So, you know, even if you're not doing it because you should and it's the right thing to do and you're not a jerk, you know, if you are a jerk, it's still going to help your business if you do it. So you should do it. So there's no excuse. And beyond those ands, there's also the fact that it is something that is not very hard to put in place. You know, a lot of things that we'll be talking about also tie into search fundamentals. They also tie into great design principles. So if you kind of follow that path, you definitely should have a site that is more pleasing to the eye 
but then also more pleasing to someone who can't necessarily see as good as as the rest of us. All right. So so the challenge is ADA compliance. I'm going to keep saying it, Phil, and you squirm every time. ADA compliance is because websites weren't considered in 1990. It's not spelled out in the letter of the law yet what we need to do. So what what's the substitute? What what is that proxy? So most of these courts are turning to the World Wide Web Consortium, or otherwise known as W3C. Um, their Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, also known as WCAG or WCAG, if you want to. <laughs> yeah, ADO and WCAG is what we're going with, I think. I hate you so much. WCAG 2.0 AA. That's going to be your standard for ADA WCAG compliance. WCAG 2 WCAG 2 Yeah. I hate you. There are, you know, a... a and the single A and triple A versions, but most of these courts are seem to be looking at double A as the standard. So let's take a look at. Man, I don't know if you guys have looked at this, but A A is pretty pretty simple top line stuff, right? And and no one, I mean, pretty much everyone already is, is A compliant. A compliant. A, A, yeah, A is. There's not a lot to it. Single A. Yeah. For us Americans, the, uh, double A. Uh, triple A. The double A. The uh, uh, the ah. Uh, um, is what we're going to talk about. The AAA? Good luck. Holy cow. I'm glad this is not something that's going to get enforced. Now, there's probably certain industries and government institutions that are probably going to be required to do some of this stuff, but for average hotel, probably not going to have to worry about AAA because if you did, my word, you would be spending thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of dollars. Like just Just as an example, a couple of examples, one, if you have any pre-recorded video on your website in AAA, not only do you have to have transcripts and things like that, but you have to have sign language version of any of the content in the video. So think about the cost that that adds, right? The other thing that I noticed is any form submitted has to have the ability for someone to either um, confirm all the information, modify the information, or uh, step back from the information and re-enter it. Which so you you I mean that's some programming, that's especially thinking about your form. booking engine pro- process and stuff like that, right? So it it just takes it to a whole nother level. It's 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 turning it up to eleven with AAA. It probably is overkill. So the AA the WCAG two ADA ADA is uh, what we're going to talk about because if your website adheres to that then legally you're pretty much covered. You're, you're eliminating the risk of a lawsuit. Um, when the law finally c- kicks in later this year, you should be covered if you follow WCAG 2.0. Uh, uh, WCAG 2.0 AA. Yes, that one. So there are four principles, 12 guidelines covered in WCAG 2.0 AA. Well, actually, it's all of WCAG 2.0. Mm-hmm. It is, and there's different... Uh, subcategories under each of these principles. <laughs> yeah, and the goal here is really just to make sure that you have the basis covered, so you can be double A, you know, approved or compliant. Yeah. Compliant. Yeah. So, so Pete, you want to go through real quick? We'll, let's not discuss these. Let's run through these quick, and then we'll talk tangibly about what you can do on a website level. Yeah. To, to so, so the first principle that you want to adhere to is perceivable. You know, is that information and is the user interface components. Can, they must be presentable to users in ways that they can actually see and perceive. 
Number yeah. two, and, and see is in <clears throat> quotations, right? Because right. seeing could be could be hearing in in the you know the case of someone's visually impaired. Exactly, and then the principle number two is operable. You know, can the user interface components and navigation be used by people on a myriad of devices? You know, so let's say that you can't necessarily use a cursor or a mouse. You know, is it keystroke compatible? Right. So going on from there, number three, is it understandable? Is the information that you have on your website, can it be understood by people with varying de degrees of abilities and disabilities? And then lastly, the fourth principle is robust. Is the content robust enough that it can be interpreted reliable and widely regardless of how the customer is digesting that data? Yeah, and, and that one, the robust is more about... Um, you know, screen readers and tools mm -hmm. and technology, can it can it read the content and then push it out to the user mm -hmm. in a way that they're accustomed to? Yeah, I mean, so. a perfect example of that is something that is incredibly helpful from a search perspective as well, is having a transcript next to your videos. You know, so someone who can't necessarily watch the video could read it as well. It's an SEO best practice anyway, do it. I, exactly, and I think that's what you see a lot of the stuff in both WCAG 2.0 a and AA are things that you really should be doing. When you get to triple A, you're starting to get into some some pretty yeah. intense. Yeah, I would stuff. agree hundred percent. So we in the show notes, which you can get at fueltravel.com slash podcast, click on episode eighty five, we, we're gonna actually list out the not just the four principles, but the twelve actual guidelines as well. They get a little more kind of technical, a little deeper and more gobbledygooky. Uh we're also going to link to the WCAG 2.0 specific information on the the main website. And that is, I mean, it's it's bedtime reading. I mean, it'll mm -hmm. put you to sleep. It's very, very dry. Uh, you can go read that. I, I, I would recommend it's worth at least skimming. But, you know, at the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast, we like tangible, right? We like it's all actionable how, how can I take this information and actually apply it? So what we've done is we've boiled down ADA and WCAG and here in our opinion and this is our opinion and this is you know again seek legal counsel where it makes sense these are the things you need to consider on your website today to make sure you're ADA compliant WCAG compliant so let's start and we'll break it down by the the four principles so first principle was what first principle was perceivability all right, so what, what are some of the things you need to be doing on your website today? Okay, so from a perceivable perspective, the first thing is add descriptions or transcripts for all video and audio content. Make sure that you know, people who can't necessarily you know, hear are able to read the, the transcript. And honestly, this is one of the things that you need to be doing anyway. It makes perfect sense, and this goes back for years. You know, we've been constantly recommending having that transcript in place. From there, again, SEO 101, make sure that all your images have the appropriate alt text that are meaningful about the image that they are, are referencing. Right. So th this, is, this is kind of a, a little gray area, right? So for a lot of people, they look at the alt text as how can I keyword stuff my, my page, right? How can I put relevant keywords that are going to show up in search engines in my alt text? Which, you got to get creative with this. Which for... for for those that don't know, alt text is it's an attribute when you embed an image on a site, you put some text associated mm -hmm. with it, which which the intent of which was when people didn't see the image, they saw the text instead. Yep, go back to the old dial-up days where right. it took a long time for a page to load and you would see yeah. 
the image description. Or even browsers that weren't compatible with images, right? Correct. But fast forward to today, a lot of screen readers, they use the alt text as their way to understand what was in the image. In SEO best practice, yeah. I mean, if you can, include your targeted keyword for that specific page within your alt text, but make it make sense because the point of what we're talking about is so that a crawler and someone with a disability would be able to understand what that image is. If you just pop your keyword in there as your alt text, you're not really doing the right thing mm -hmm. by everybody. Yeah, so I mean, imagine that you're a hotel in Houston, Texas, and you have a pool. That alt text for, that, for an image of a family in a pool would be, you know, family swimming in a pool in Houston, Texas in this property, or whatever it might be. That makes sense and lets you know what it is. You would not put, you know, Houston hotels, Houston hotels, Houston hotels, and a bunch of you know keyword stuffy type, type right. things. So on the flip side of that, the other thing related to images is some images on your website aren't really relevant in, in terms of understanding the content, right? So an, an example of that might be a, like a tracking pixel or something like that, which you know you don't want the screen reader to read. So labeling those kind of images so that the screen reader doesn't try to understand what it is and think that it's part of the content. Another example might be your design elements. You might have images on the page for spaces or you know creative decoration. Those you need to say, you need to label in a way that the screen readers are gonna understand they don't need to pay attention to these images. Yep, and then going be even beyond that from a, a font and a text perspective, making sure that if the user decides to increase the font size, it doesn't completely destroy the layout of the site. Again, another really best practice. Yeah, and, and you know, just giving them the ability for whatever kind of technology they're using, font size, background images, uh, you know, taking away the CSS completely. In any kind of functionality that the user has with the tools they use to help them better understand how to read the web, you need to make sure that your website's going to work regardless. You know, one example of that is the order in which the content appears. You know, some some people, uh, and this isn't a practice I've seen recently, but it, it was more so, you know, four or five years ago. What they would do is they'd put the content on the page and it would display to the consumer in the in the order that made sense to the consumer. But maybe at the bottom of the page, they have content that was maybe a little more keyword stuffed and and they they wanted the search engines to see that first so they'd use css to put that content at the top versus you know it's at the bottom for the consumer kind of a gray dark gray hat tactic with seo right you should not be doing that anymore because because it changes you know what someone that's using a screen reader sees compared to what someone that, that doesn't use a screen reader sees. Mm -hmm. And that that's a big no-no. That's discrimination by definition, right? And then the last thing is making sure that the text on the page contrasts enough with the background color. Yeah, half of the people on this <clears throat> podcast right now are colorblind. So. And the thing is, is I think people who <laughs> are color-abled don't realize how big of a deal that is. But if you put, you know, one color text on another color background, it could look like a blank square. You know, light gray, uh, light gray background with a little bit darker gray text could be invisible to a lot of customers. Me. Yeah. To and Phil they, and <laughs> to Google. And Google is going to see that there's text there that is very close. It could, it could be seen as cloaking. I mean, yeah. if, you're, if you're way too close, it definitely could yeah. be seen as that, that cloaking, that old school 
Wild West SEO tactic that of white, white text, text yeah, and white, white background. background. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, don't do that. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, keep people like Stuart and I in mind. We need to be able to see what you got <laughs> on your website. And I'll say, you know, push back against your designers on this one because they're kind of famous for very stylized text on a background. Yeah. To, because if you can see it, it looks very ornate and nice. Yeah. But a lot of times from a web perspective, you're trying to get information. And you kind of have to say, okay, take off your design hat and put on your functionality hat because mm-hmm. if you can't read it, it doesn't count. Yeah, but what gets me a lot, you know, being visually impaired and colorblind, light blue font kills me at any time. Like anytime you have a, a light background and a light blue font, it's it's almost impossible for me to see. The, you know, the, the WCAG um, guidelines actually <laughs> have... Um, specific ratios of contrast so and I, I, i'm going from memory here but i want to say it's a four to one ratio seven to one ratio well i think it's aa is four to one and then oh, AAA, AAA is, is seven, seven to one. one which is basically um, black text on a white background at that right point. exactly yeah what are we jumping into next boys so what what's the next principle so principle number two is the is for operable so user interface components and navigation that are easier to use for someone who does have any sort of disability so um Key, keyboard accessible, so make all functionality available from a keyboard. Yeah, and this is, this is one that we, you know, all the new websites we produce uh, out of the box when we launch them are ADA compliant. Oh, man, I said it wrong. Uh, ADA mm-hmm. compliant. Uh, and that was one of the tricky things for us, to make sure you could tab through navigation items. You know, tab and enter will get you to a navigation item and, and follow that link. It took a little bit of trickery from the developers to make sure that that worked but it's very important for some and it people should always work on forms i mean that is one thing that drives me nuts because i don't have any visual impairments other than needing contacts or, or any you know, physical i mean you can you can use a mouse right but, but it's so much typing, faster i love typing tab it tab name tab and if you have multiple forms on the page or you just don't have them set up properly you could be going all over the place on those forms. Yeah, when when the tab order is out is wonky, I'll drives try. me bananas. Oh, it's so annoying. Yeah. So not only does it drive me personally bananas, but it also is not WCAG compliant. Mm-hmm. So you need to fix it. You should fix it ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on, we also have. <laughs> Wait, no. Let them really digest that amazing joke. Okay. Okay. No, it was okay, go my ahead. face. I, I want to kind of deconstruct that joke because ASAP's already how you say it. You don't say ASAP. So you just... Oh, that's that. true. So <laughs> you just mispronounce I just incept- how... I just inceptioned ASAP. Right. Right. I oh, see so you said it right there. There you go. So. But no one says ASAP. They say ASAP, but you said ASAP. I don't know. My favorite word. is ASAP as possible. <laughs> Who says that? <laughs> I've never heard that. Uh Dead to us now used to say it. Wow, that's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about operable. Yeah, let's continue. <laughs> so next for operable, we have adding meaningful page titles that will accurately portray the content that you have across your site. Again, this is another one that you should be doing for SEO. That's SEO best practice. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're picking a topic for a page, find find the t- keyword you want to target. Make sure that's in your page title and it damn well better describe what's on that page so is, is this one saying don't be clickbaity because i'm gonna be mad if we can't do clickbaity titles for our podcast episodes 
I hate clickbaity titles, but but they work, man. Yeah, they make it, them click. But does that does that let the user know it's on the page, or does it make them question what's on the page? Story. It depends on how what kind of clickbait you use, right? And, and if you look at all of our, and we we're, we're kind of ironically clickbaity in a way. Yeah. Right, we we deliberately try to be as quick baby as possible. You'll never, you'll yeah. never guess what ADA compliance requires. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it. But there's a difference between that because okay, so you've asked a question. It's click baby for sure, but the page you go to better answer that question. And yeah. if it does, then okay. you know, yes, you might be click baby, but you're at least out of compliance. Yeah. yeah, exactly. If if the if the click baby subject is about ADA. And then we're talking about Jibdapur, then that wouldn't make sense. But Jibdapur. Can you say GDPR? No. Please. <laughs> <laughs> All right, continue, Jeremy. So, next on our operable list, we have ensuring that the link anchor text is going to be intuitive on your site. Yeah, this is, this is one that drives me crazy when people say, like, da 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 da, click here, and the here is the thing that's linked. Yeah, um, it's again SEO best practice. Make an anchor text. Let someone know what they're going to see. It, right. it has to be relevant to where you're about to take them. Right. So click if, here if, is, means nothing. So if you're linking to the Ada compliance episode of this podcast, right? Don't say, "Hey, Fuel did this amazing Ada podcast." Click here and link here. Say, "Click here to read the," and then link. The anchor text, Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast, amazing Ada episode, right? That That's the piece that's the semantic relevance to what you're clicking on. So if, if you want to link to our site, yep, go ahead and use that uh, that keyword rich yeah. anchor text, please. <laughs> Put Hotel Marketing Podcast in there. We'll be very much appreciative. So next on our operable category list, um, we have allowing blot allow block of repetitive content to be skipped by screen readers. So what does that mean? So something like the, um, the navigation, right? So the navigation is going to appear on every page. And if you're in a screen reader and it's reading literally down the content, you don't want to hear home amenities, accommodation every time, right? So having a hidden, the way we, we accomplish it is we have a hidden anchor anchor link at the top that can jump below the navigation essentially uh, but it doesn't have just be navigation you might have like a, a block of text that's on every page of the site it could be like a, a contact form or something like that being, being able to skip things like that is really important for people that don't want to sit there and listen to the same thing on every mm -hmm. page that they go to so another part of um, operable would be to give the ability to pause time-based movements such as the as hero images or delayed transitions. It's pretty similar to what you just mentioned, right? Skipping, skipping navigation. You can skip a hero image just to move to what the content of the page is. Well, yeah, I mean that one's a little different because it's more about, um, you know, if if someone, you know, someone that doesn't have a disability is reading a hero image that says here's a special offer, and the delay is five seconds before it jumps to the next one. Someone with specific disabilities might not be able to read it in that amount of time so giving control over the pace at which they read is oh I so could that be as simple as because that drives me nuts as well as when it's ro rotating so fast you can't digest the information right simply ho having a hover effect where if your mouse is over that image it stays 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think as long as it's an intuitive control and and it's explicit in how you control it. I mean, a pause button or something in in the code that says pause as well, so the screen reader can pause it and they can control it via their keyboard, is important. But then you know, other kind of doesn't really apply to to hotel websites. But maybe you you do something like uh, like a quiz right where there's a question and someone clicks and then after 10 seconds it shows the answer or something like that gives it that's the kind of thing that you need to give people with disabilities the control over just in case they need a little more time to to read that stuff so that's what that time-based one is so next we have implementing clear page hierarchy and content labeling so users are able to decipher where they are on your website is this like uh, breadcrumbs yeah, breadcrumbs. Um, using H1s, H2s. Yeah, H1s, H2s. Okay. Using schema to wrap content in, in semantically re relevant blocks. Gotcha. Stuff like that. Which, again, SEO best practice has yep. said to do that for years. Yep. Right. Now, what's next? Is that all of operable? No, no we have two more. more. Okay. So, next is to not rely solely on color to relay information. Like, press the orange button. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, yeah, that would drive me crazy. Uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Don't do that. And lastly, we have removing all the content that could cause seizures. Yeah, I don't know why you would want content on your site that could potentially cause seizures. I mean, I think we all, from a very young age, understand that flashy, blinky stuff is not good for certain people. Yeah, I mean, since the age of the punch the monkey banner. Yeah. That's exactly I, I think, that was the first yeah. thing that popped into my head. <laughs> That's basically all I've gone on by I the way. I don't know what that is. Yes, really? You do. I don't. Were the little monkeys moving across the little four sixty by sixty banner? The banner and you had to monkey make you have to make your little fist punch them. But by doing no, that, making you, that click, you go to a different website. You don't remember that? No idea what you're talking about. I mean, I can conceptualize it, but I've never. Oh, it was the trickiest little banner ad because it was. It's a game. It was probably the the best. That's old school, though. You know, n late '90s, early 2000 type banner that you'd get. Really? Huh? Never seen it. Jeremy, have you ever seen it? I've never heard of that. Right, Fifty percent of the people here don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Pete, I'm with you, buddy. Thank you, Phil. All right. So All we're right. done with operable. So what what's the next principle? Um, the next principle is understandable. So we just design this. This category is designed to ensure that uh, web pages feature logical functionality and language. All right, so here's another fun fact about the AAA, the a, -A, -A version, which you don't have to worry about. But one of the things is, and I forget the grade level, but if, if your language on your website is above a certain grade level, you have to specify that. Like you have to tell people that essentially you may not be able to comprehend this because it's the language is is too complex for some people you don't have to worry about that but that's the kind of stuff that AAA has deals with so mm. yeah so let's continue with ah, right. and so ah, so define the language being used in your meta tags what type of meta tags are we talking meta description like the, yeah, the, the language so like no your your meta that there's like a language meta tag so okay. so okay, gotcha. u.s so english u.s english yeah gotcha yeah and, and again, AAA has things like if you're using uh, non-standard jargon and things like that, you have to specify it. But AA is just pretty much let people know what language this website is or this page is in, and you're good to go. Cool. Uh, the next one is, and we, we preach this all the time, ensuring your navigation is consistent across the website. 
including your booking engine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that one comes under. I think one of the guidelines talks about um, predictability, so what to expect, so that you know if if someone's going to jump across the navigation, right? They're going to skip the navigation like we just talked about. They're not. They don't want to skip it if it's different, right? They should know that. Mm-hmm. So you need to make it consistent so that they don't have to worry about like on one page, there's this this uh, navigation item and on another page it's not. So when you go from page to page, especially like you said, to the booking engine, having that consistency is really important because otherwise they may not know about it. All right, next we wanna ensure that the focus or selection of elements within the page doesn't change the content or the functionality of that page. To clarify that, I'll make sure I understand. All right, so think about it this way. If, If you're using a screen reader or you're using keyboard controls, you're tabbing through to read different things, right? If you, for some reason, have uh, like a form field that when you click on it, something happens, or you have an image where you click on it and something happens related to the content or the functionality of the site, just by the nature of you clicking on it, then you need to define that, and you should probably prevent it, because otherwise someone that is using a keyboard to tap through to understand the site is going to have a different experience. So, so that's actually a pretty important one, though, because more and more we're seeing those hover effects. And it used to be hover effect was a little bit of a glow. But now we're seeing hover effects when you mouse over something, it might flip a card and show text. Change an image. That's right. the kind yeah. of stuff you cannot do right. unless there's a there's another way to do that with right. the keyboard. Mm-hmm. You cannot and a lot of times it might be an image <clears throat> with a special headline, and you hover over it and you see the full headline or the full right. special description right which is not uncommon in the hotel space if, if again if the screen reader can't see it or if the keyboard user can't see it you should not be doing it you were not going to be wcag 2.0 uh-uh. fix it as up at a okay as up jibra <laughs> compliant got it you guys are driving me up a wall. you're literally rubbing your brow <laughs> right no, now i can't stand when people do that but thanks thanks guys Right. ruining my friday um so next next piece of uh next piece of the understandable category is ensuring that repetitive content blocks throughout the site are labeled consistently so we covered this a little mm-hmm. earlier but um in the back end just make sure it's labeled consistently so newsletter it knows yeah, it knows when newsletter it's time to skip if for someone using a screen reader and then lastly, within our understandable category is ensure that forms contain labels and appropriate instructions, including logical field names. Which, you know, not just visible field names, so it says name next to it, but the label within the HTML tag should also be... If you want a first name, make sure that label says first name and then yeah, not, differ from not last F name. name. Yeah, or something. Or similar. field one. Right. Yeah, Exactly. And then things like tool tips as well. Like if, if, mm-hmm. if you need some clarification uh, as to what this field requires, like giving oh, yeah. if someone... If it's a required field, make sure that a screen reader is able to tell, hey, this is a required field. Right. Or, or if it requires some kind of format of... of the, so if it's like a date format. Or a phone number. Yeah. Tell people exactly how they need to enter that. Or better yet, don't don't be a, you know difficult and just accept whatever every format that someone could possibly enter a date or a, or a phone number. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that kind of brings us to really the final category of being WCAG 2.0, which is robust, which is the content must be robust enough that it can be interpreted reliable by a wide variety of agents 
including that assistive technology like screen readers and whatnot. So this is more of a, a truly a technical one. And what we want to do is make sure that from a W3 perspective that the code on your site is in quotes robust. Yeah. Robust is a weird word to use. It's kind of, I don't know, not, it's very all inclusive, doesn't but have a lot vague, of clarity yeah. to it. Right. Um, you know, the best way I can see it is, you know, if you're following like an HTML5 validation, something like that. So you're closing all your tags, you're, you know, it's essentially so that technology that assists people with disabilities can read the content, right? Mm -hmm. So you're following, you know, standard practices of how you code the site. So that, are you saying that, that as we get new technologies that help people with disabilities, you're keeping up with it? Right, exactly. Like, yeah. Well, you know, a good yeah, example that standard set out by W3C, follow that standard and you're going to be okay. Yeah, I mean, even from a non, you know, accessible perspective, doing things like making sure you have the schema markup needed, because a year, a couple of years ago, that wasn't that important until you have things like going back to the beginning, Alexa, Google Home, and things like that that are reading your content on your site and then repeating it in the spoken language. Okay, so that, I mean, that is really it. If you want to be a CAG 2.0 compliant, you follow those simple steps, you're pretty much covered. Again, get some legal counsel to, to double check you. But I, I want to leave you with a few final thoughts re related to it, right? So one, if one element or one page on your site is not compliant, your whole site is not compliant. You know, if you're preventing someone from accessing one little piece of your site, then that's discriminatory. So you may as well not bother if you're not going to do it 100%. And no. that kind of leads us into, you need to be training your staff and the people working on your websites to understand ADA compliance and be following it as they work on the site from start to finish. Yeah, because that's one of the big things that we see, right, is we'll build a site that's WCAG 2.0 compliant and, <laughs> and, and we'll run it through. And there are tools out there that you can use, like Wave is a great one. We'll list, link to that. You can run your site through it and it'll it'll scan it and say whether or not you're you're compliant great but then the next day someone comes and uploads a new image to your website and doesn't put an alt text immediately you're out of compliance yeah, it's, it's the content team that really needs to be on this because they're going to be typically the ones manipulating and adding new content creating new pages adding right. images you know yeah. someone who writes a blog yeah. post is going to put a whole new page on there like Stuart said you stop an image on there for with an on irrelevant clickbaity title yeah yeah and, and I'll say, also say this that you, t you talk about wave which has a great chrome plugin that will just let you run any site that you happen to be on you just click on a little icon and immediately it shows you all of the things that might be either alerts cautions yeah you know various levels obviously you want to take care of your warnings but then the rest of them might be hey it'll be helpful if you did this or that exactly yeah so go, go again we'll link to that in the show notes fueltravel.com slash podcast click on episode 85 um in and we'll have a link to wave and all the notes as well mm. hey pete hey Stuart. hey i think we got a question we did we got one from your side of the pond by julia from south lodge boutique bed and breakfast so here's what she had to ask. She was, I am the top B&B ranking in TripAdvisor, but my direct competition is local. Congrats. Yeah, way to go. That's, that's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, so her direct comp competitors, though, are local hotels. And since she doesn't always show where she would like to in the TripAdvisor results for her area, she wanted to know if she would be one of those rare cases 
that sponsored positions would work very well for. So that's her question. I guess my answer to that would be, you know, the, and also one thing that she mentions here as well is she does not have a business listing. So, but does, I'm assuming she has a profile for her for she, her property. Though. She does. So she has a profile. She has control over her profile, but she right now is not paying a dime to TripAdvisor for business listings, sponsored positions, instant book, trip connector, anything. Okay. Yeah, keep that in mind. You don't need to have a business listing to use those other services. Right. And that's the, that's the biggest point because that's her question is, does she have to have that business listing if she even wants to participate? And I called TripAdvisor and spoke to them, and those are completely siloed. You do not need to have a business listing to participate in sponsored positions. You don't need to have service A to participate in service B anywhere within TripAdvisor. It's one of the biggest problems with TripAdvisor, you know, and this is, we railed on them last episode and and Mm -hmm. about the the issues we're having. Part of the problem is they don't treat the the customer, the hotelier, Mm -hmm. on a holistic level, right? You've got all these competing products serviced by different people. And those products compete against each other right. internally within TripAdvisor. Right. TripAdvisor's just completely lost the plot. They, they don't keep mm-hmm. them eye at all on, on the, who's making their money, the hotel, and they've lost sight of the guest. And that's mm-hmm. the biggest problem that yeah. they have right now. Yeah, I mean, so from, from Julia, the good news is, is you don't have to pay for a business listing. You can buy sponsored positions without paying anything else. So do we think that this is a good investment for her? I don't. And here's specifically why I don't think so is you're going to be paying between 140. It's around 140 pound per month to have. I'm proud of you. Oh, it's usually it's $200, but I I did the conversion. You said pound, not pounds, but we'll, we'll, you know, we're we're close a lot, close enough. All right. Anyway. I'm glad you didn't say euros. Oh, no, I won't do that. So anyway. Sidetrack, 140 pounds. Pound town, Pete. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sounds weird. 140 pounds per month you're going to be paying for sponsored positions. And you're not going to know what that does. But the only thing that we do know is, one, it's going to increase your impression share, which is great. You'll get some traffic. But what I found, and I've, I've looked into your business a lot, when they land on your profile page, there is no way for a customer to book your property direct. Because you don't have that business listing, which means you don't have the phone number, you don't have the website link. So the only way they can book is by going through an OTA, which you are on the OTA. So so at least you won't, you'll get a booking and it won't just be a, a dead end for that customer. But you'll be paying to drive them from the results page to your sponsored or to your profile page and then force them to book through an OTA. It becomes a balancing act, right? So if you have empty rooms, that might be worth the investment to send them to your profile page and then have to pay the OTA again to get that guest. But I would wager to say that it's better to focus on your other listings and making sure you're optimizing them. Yeah, go back a couple episodes ago and, and, and re-listen to our top 10 hotel mar- things to spend money on in hotel marketing. Mm-hmm. Business listing or TripAdvisor in general was not very high on the list, but sponsor positions was not on the list, period. No, it's, right? it's not. And, and there's some things I would say specifically for, you know, for your property, specifically for South Lodge Boutique Bed and Breakfast, is one, I think you should improve your Facebook profile. I, there's not enough information and there's not enough ways for a guest who is learning about your property to get into your booking process. Number two is you need to make better use of Airbnb and VRBO because other 
properties in your location, in including your own property, don't have as much of an exposure as they should. More photos, a better description, and more engagement is going to be key there. And then lastly, which I would say is probably the biggest opportunity, which is going to be minimal from an investment perspective, is bedandbreakfast.com. There's almost no competition in your city for on bedandbreakfast.com. You know, so creating that profile, cultivating it, and using that, I think, will get you way more business and more trackable business than you could ever get from simply paying for sponsored positions. I'd like positions. to add one and kind of get your thoughts on it, guys. Um, Coming off script. One thing. How yeah, dare you. I'm sorry. So would you consider uh, dumping your email database into a remarketing list in Google, uh, creating a lookalike audience, and then running on hotel-type terms in PPC? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think it, it's worth testing, right? Right. So. Yeah, for sure. Any anytime you you know something about the person you're targeting, like they stayed with you once before, mm -hmm. I think you you're gonna ref or they've been to your website. I think you're gonna ref you know get a, a higher return. Sure, so. but I'm I'm talking about specifically the lookalike audience, the people who look like the guests uh, who stayed gotcha. with you, mm -hmm. not necessarily your guests. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it will depend on the the size of her database if, right. if that's gonna be effective, right? Because if if she's a B&B, &B, she probably only has, you know, half a dozen rooms at, at, at most. So what, how big is our guest history? True. Really, mm -hmm. you know? True. So are you going to have enough data to make a good comparison? I don't know. Well, Maybe I think, website visitors. I don't know how much traffic she yeah, gets. Yeah, website visitors yeah. for sure. Um, your, your existing emails to, to retarget for sure. Mm -hmm. but but just I, a thought. I, I, mean, yeah, I think she makes a good point, though. It's like, is this one of the rare cases where sponsored positions would work? Possibly. They, they might, but I just think that before you go spending money there, because it is a black hole, you don't know what it does. Yeah. Until it's trackable, I, I can't hand on heart recommend it to anyone in mm -hmm. any situation. I mean, and maybe, maybe if you're a brand new property. Yeah. You know, but that's the only thing I see it being useful for at this point is brand awareness. It'd be like running a display campaign that you can't track. I mean, at this point, it's it's yeah. There's so many things you can spend money on that are effective. I and mean, for someone like her, like just building out your content on your website to talk about the area and what makes you unique mm -hmm. and special, building out a, a comprehensive email strategy, you know, those things are not going to cost you a lot of money. It's going to be in the time investment, but those things are going to pay way more dividends in the long term than sponsored positions. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I would consider too is the the attraction to the property is it is a bed and breakfast in a little boutique you know it's a it's a quaint experience you know so have your marketing reflect that same experience mm -hmm. in, instead of saying okay i'm just going to go ahead and dump money in sponsored positions and book through ota i would wager to say that an ota booking at your property is not a repeat guest you know see what you can do to create that relationship with your guest before they even visit your property exactly yeah I mean, there's so many things you could do before that. Yeah. Like influencer marketing would be another one. Like go find travel writers and invite mm -hmm. them to come at slow times and have them write about you. That, yeah. that exposure is going to be phenomenal, you know. So. Um, but FAQs, I, things like that. There's yeah. a lot you could do. So I mean, I, I love the question, Julia. That's a really a good way for us to kind of really, you know, put the, the recommendation to the test. And I think it does it well. The other thing that Julia got is she got some awesome feedback for free. So if other people want to ask us questions, you know, we'll dive in, we'll look at their profiles, you know, we'll do some analysis and we can talk about it on the podcast. Yeah, we like to give out free advice for sure. That, that's that's one of the things we, we do. 
One of the things we're thinking about, and we want to solicit your feedback, you faithful listeners out there, thousands and thousands that download our episodes every week. We're coming up to a to a grand old age of 100 here in the next, you know, we're 85, so we've only got 15 more episodes. So if you remember, if you've been a, lo- a long-time listener, episode uh, 50, we did a live video um, episode, and it was an AMA. Arma. Uh, and, yeah, sorry, an Arma. Ask Me Anything episode. <laughs> Uh, so we're thinking maybe doing something like that again. So, you know, if you have ideas for what you'd like to see uh, or questions you'd like us to answer in the 100th episode, then... or Costumes you, you'd like Stuart to wear. Or if you'd Ooh. even <laughs> like us to do a, another live video episode and see our ugly mugs, then let us know. Uh, you can email us at info at fueltravel.com or hit us up on Twitter at fueltravel. Uh, so, guys, I think we crossed the... Add a GDP, not GDPR, add a WCAG 2.0, uh, uh, GDP, acronym, acronym episode. What do you think, boys? It's good. I hate, I hate, I hate the fact that you're pronouncing those so much <laughs> right now. <laughs> Any other feedback? No, it was good. Well, if you have questions or, or corrections, you know, because we're certainly not the experts on ADA. I said it correctly. Uh, you know, let us know. We'd love to read your feedback. But Pete. If they want to get in touch with you, where can they find you on Twitter versus... They can find me on Twitter at PDMAO, P-D-I-M-A-I-O. Jeremy, where can they find you on uh, not Twitter? You find me at, they can find me at jeremyrazook.tumblr.com. For your Sleeves beautiful photography. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out. All right. And Philip. You can find me on Twitter at pforiska. That's P-F-O-R-I-S-K-A. So, Phil, why don't, why don't I have to spell out your name? Why, why do I have to say Philip? Why don't I have to say P-H-I-L, you know? You can. Go right ahead. Can you spell Same, same reason I say Because it's Ada. not an acronym. It's a name. Or story. is it an acronym? I don't know. Let's make one up. Yeah, be fun. we can come up with that. Hey, Did, you, you guys want to send us in a fun acronym for Phil? Go right ahead. Didn't you used to do that in in school where you had to like write a... What's that called when you write your name down one side? A mnemonic then, device? Yeah, and then you write like sentences with each of the letters. You do that? No. Holmes? You yeah. don't even know what that is. I have no Englishman. idea what that is. What are you what are you saying right now? <laughs> These are the, I mean they're English words, but I feel like I'm not interrupting. You don't know the them. mnemonic device for the Great Lakes? No. Of course you don't. I don't know anything about the Great Lakes That's other right. than they're great. Alright, I think we killed this episode. Until <laughs> next time. You've been listening to Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. <laughs>